Welcome to Draft Broadcast, a platform through which we will explore in more depth the practice of artists, curators, writers and other practitioners to open understanding about where their work comes from, why they do what they do and what it means to produce work today. I'm Ned McConnell, curator at Draft, and I'll be hosting these broadcast sessions. So for me, this improvised music is like abstract painting and the, all these <laughs> conceptual operatic or like sculptural works. This is some other type of painting. Today I'm joined by Lina Lapaleti, a visual artist and recent winner of the Venice Biennale Golden Lion with collaborators Rugile Barjukaita and Vaiva Grenita. We'll be discussing, among other things, how sound, music and voice have influenced her practice and her use of storytelling, playfulness and endurance. Hi, Lena. Hi, Ned. How are you? Mm. <laughs> I'm quiet. <laughs> I'm slow. Yes, I think everything has slowed down a bit uh, recently, hasn't it? Which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. I guess we have to try to take advantage of this moment of um, quiet, I guess, or quiet in some ways, but kind of cacophonic in other ways. Well, this is a very complex situation we are currently facing, and every day I, I have different feelings about it. At the very beginning, I was actually quite amazed and and happy to understand that everything has stopped. And I didn't feel guilty by stopping or rather otherwise I felt that to stop is the only way that can save those who are vulnerable in this current situation. I hope we will be able to learn from this experience and get out of the situation with a much deeper knowledge and conceptual understanding of how to move on. I would say it's an opportunity. So to give a little bit of context, we were going to do a talk together at Draft in the space, but obviously that was cancelled because of the current COVID-19 situation. And then obviously lots of other things have been cancelled as well, including the presentation of performances that Draft was doing at GI, which you were a part of. To add a postscript... GI is a biannual arts festival normally happening in April and May. It was postponed for this year due to coronavirus. Draft was due to present a performance program as part of their launch evening at SWG3 and we would have featured Paul Mahecki, Nina Bayer and of course Luna Lapaleti. You've been preparing lots of kind of iterations of your Venice Biennale work. So I wonder if you could talk maybe a bit about how that came about first and then we can get on to maybe some of the kind of themes in your work both as an individual and in when you when you collaborate yeah so i don't know where where do i start <laughs> it's been it's been a very long journey for us so sun and sea marina opera performance that was presented at the Lithuanian Pavilion of the Venice Biennale in 2019, was and is a work that I made together with two other artists, uh, Rugila Barjukaita and Vaiva Grinita. And, well, at, at the point where uh, when the work reached the Biennale, I think we, we worked three or four years prior 
you know, in preparation, in making the work. And we thought that the kind of the analysis, the it's not that it's the last stop, but we thought it kind of we it reached our envisioned way of how it should look and how it should be perceived, I guess. So Senensi is the work that is settled on this imaginary beach. Not imaginary, but like a fake beach. So we constructed this sandy beach inside the building in military zone in Venice, which was then filled with singing people. And was the um, the choice of that, the fact that it was a military zone, was that important to the work? Well, I think every single step that we took was embraced by the work itself. Because Lithuania, uh, as a country, we don't have a pavilion in Venice as, as some other countries do. So every time the artist is announced to to represent Lithuania in Venice Biennale, uh, they start from meeting the local property agent and finding a location. In our case, we we knew exactly what we wanted because the view from above uh, was already envisioned in the piece. So it's part of the work, it's not accidental. So we knew that we want a place with a mezzanine uh, that would allow the viewers to see the beach from above, to see the people, singing people from above. I wonder what that gave to the viewers because it's obviously quite an unusual view to have of, of any visual art really that kind of um, bird's eye view but also of a scene which is quite domesticated if you like in some ways because it's something that most people will have experienced sitting on a beach um, but nobody you know very few people will have seen it from above like that yeah well I guess one of the reasons for this view was to have a complete picture that does not require any other, that the sand kind of fulfills your your whole sight, but at the same time to distance people, to distance the audience from what is happening, to feel as if, even if we are watching human beings, to feel that we, we watch some kind of ants nest or some kind of you know bugs you know that kind of feeling when you absorb something that doesn't belong to you yeah well i guess there's something around humans idea that they are omnipotent or that they are, are a kind of higher power and always looking down on things and thinking that they're insignificant like you say like ants or bugs or you know things like that and manipulating them to our own ends i suppose well could be this could be like we also thought okay like you know maybe this view is like the god's view or the sun's view so at the same time you know we didn't really want to precisely formulate what that view is <laughs> so it's for it to be less defined well to kind of allow everyone to, f to find out what this view is for them at the same time what this work is for them because i think the war got framed in this activist climate change piece but i think 
I hope it 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 also has many other layers that people take away with it. Okay. I mean this is obviously a difficult question to answer, but what is next? Do you have any answer to that at the moment or is it all still totally up in the air? Or or are you are you working on something brand new because you now have this moment of um time and free head space? So the next two or three months, I think it's completely, everything got cancelled. Who knows what's going to happen, but I was planning to to do a show at the Castello di Rivoli and then Ribocca. So all these have been postponed. And Ribocca, I hope that it was supposed to open in May. So Ribocca is the Riga biennial of art but now it has been postponed but we actually about to have a conversation and I think the plan is to to do the works but maybe a few months later and then I'm doing a new performance work in Malmö in November at the Lilith Studios and we do have a lot of touring plans for the Sun and Sea which is, re- I mean, a lot of people ask me, like, don't you feel that it's been enough, you know, you had enough <laughs> of sun and sea? And, and, and I think it's yes and no, because it's actually really nice that we can show this work to, to, to more people and that the work has such a big demand, you know. It's really, for me as an artist, it's really exciting. And then the fact that it takes... It takes so long to make a new work and once it's done, it's really nice to to show it, you know, that it has more than one show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, that's super important with performance work because there is so much energy and time that goes into the making of performance work and then to have such a limited visibility is always a shame i think so i think it's great that you're doing things like touring some of the bigger productions you've done i mean i think it's really important these days yeah and also i guess you know you have a lot of demand of like making new and then it kind of follows this you know the overproduction route that we are all following and then actually it's okay not to produce something new (laughs) it's okay to maybe slow down (laughs) yeah and i think with performance work much like with plays and theater there's new things to discover within performance work each time it's presented or new iterations given different contexts or different spaces that you're showing it in so i think performance work has often got a lot within it to explore within one performance you know and depending on where you take it or where it's presented and to whom and in which which country which space architecturally you know there's there's so much contingency within performance that i think you're never going to get to the bottom of all of that through a one night show of something you know and so to take it to different places and different spaces and really try and explore it to the end of its capabilities i think is is really good yeah, and also I think the work really changes, as you say, in different location, but also, like, for example, the Have a Good Day. The first time we kind of showed 
the piece as like uh, a completed piece was in 2013. And then we thought, okay, maybe after three years, it's not going to be relevant at all. But we still get to show it in different places. And then we realized that, you know, the work kind of stays the same, but then we change during time and then the audience has changed and it just brings new narratives in. And I guess it's going to be the same with Sun and Sea. We just, after Venice, we just showed it in, in Norway, in Borealis, just before everything got closed. And I realized like after this whole corona thing that we are experiencing now, the work will also bring on so many different narratives, you know? Well, I'm glad it was shown again so quickly after Venice. And hopefully once this passes, it will get many more viewings. So that's not the first piece that you've done with Ruglia Bajikaita and Viva Granita. You also did one with shopping cashiers. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so Sun and Sea is our second work and the first work is called Have a Good Day and it's an opera for 10 cashiers in the supermarket and piano. Um, so, well, so... so I. So for us, after after we we had a clear idea what CNC is, we realized it's kind of uh, maybe like a part two of this some kind of ironic critique on consumerism. So like the Have a Good Day is is also an opera. It has quite a it has a very different view. It's it's quite organized performance compared to Sun and Sea. And uh, you have this kind of uniform, 10 people singing their own stories. And they kind of, they become some sort of metaphor of buying and selling. So like one of the main choirs that they sing is that they get these salaries and then they go and buy what they sell so like so yeah so the cashier for us was this kind of metaphor of also each each of us you know this yeah and and then this sort of the idea of consumerism it kind of shifted to the beach and then again you know the climate change is very much related to all this so i guess it's the kind of the part two and thinking about collaborating in that way with these non-professional, well, professional cashiers, but non-professional performers. No, 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 no. Ah, okay. So they were professional performers. I thought they were um, cashiers. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you thought so <laughs> because we <laughs> we worked we work a lot actually with uh, with casting and audition auditioning people and ni- neither in have a good day nor in sun and sea people i mean people are they know how to sing and they're like and then um, like they're not real cashiers in the have a good day but we selected singers from like choirs and different singing backgrounds so that they would convince as someone being cashier. Like we, we would, you know, we, we really think about the voices, the bodies, the and the characters themselves. And we try 
to make that the person who's performing the role doesn't need to actually perform, but that the role kind of feels relevant to the person performing it. Yes. Okay. I suppose I feel like there's quite a strong element of storytelling or narrative in a lot of your work particularly these collaborative works but also in things like candy shop or even in pirouette which we were going to show at gi and we still hopefully will do in the future you know there's some kind of narrative background to the characters that are being presented actually i see quite a like when we work with together with viva viva grinita she she wrote the text for have a good day and sun and sea i think her way of writing is is very specific and I don't think that exists in any of my other works actually. So in these two operas that we made together in this three-headed dragon, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I think the, the, the characters are really important and, and well but also the storytelling is not kind of it's is non-linear I would say so it's very much like creating the situation the kind of mundane situation that allows the characters to be heard I guess and I think all the elements that come within that they, they form the character even music I think it does that yeah but I feel like in in pirouette the retired dancer and the action that she's taking which is holding the en point pose for 10 15 minutes 14 14 minutes it is you know is has a kind of there's a narrative built into that because she's retired and because she's a former dancer she has the within her body she has the strength and knowledge to be able to hold this pose and so it says it talks a lot of her history and narrative from being a dancer and a trained dancer yeah i guess you could say so that there is the storytelling i mean i guess what i was like trying to separate because i think when we work with viva then the text becomes really really important and when i work alone then i focus more on non-verbal storytelling, if you could say so. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, I guess what you say, it's it's correct. She, she I, there is uh, some kind of narrative there that is brought by the performer. Yes, you're right. It, it's, it's certainly not a linear narrative. I guess it comes from your interest in cultural histories or pop culture and bringing out these specific examples or things that you notice um, and wanting to explore them more is maybe where the narrative that I'm talking about comes from. So something like Candy Shop, which started with you listening to the lyrics of hip hop for the first time or proper, properly engaging with the fact that they had kind of written ly lyrics and trying to unpick those a bit. Yeah, I think that was my way. The piece started from me wanting wanting to to understand it properly, <laughs> and and the the process just continued involving more and more people into the piece. And by talking with, like in candy shop, um, 
I've invited these six uh, other artists to work together and then on on this idea and and it all really resonated to them so we we started to build this whole thing i mean it's hard to generalize because who knows maybe my next work will not have any of this maybe you'll start painting next i might just start gardening actually (laughs) (laughs) well that sounds like a useful thing to do in these times (laughs) <laughs> yes. I, I'm quite curious in, in sort of specific areas that are not known to me or maybe known so well that I, and I, and I kind of find them ridiculous sometimes. Like in Hunky Bluff, uh, there is a piece called Hunky Bluff where, where I work with women with manly voices. And that comes from, you know, quite direct. Uh, from my experience in being in the choir where like the the high like the high female voices would be so appreciated and then if you have a low low voice and if you can actually sing the men parts in the choir you kind of have a bit of a strange views towards you like you know it's almost like uncomfortable (laughs) but I mean I think it's there's something interesting certainly in what you were saying before about how you obviously you've worked a lot with performance and sound but um who knows what your next works will be like I mean I think the the works that we were going to show at Glasgow which was pirouette and ladies I feel like they have quite a kind of sculptural element to them anyway um, you know, the pirouette, the ballerina holding this pose for so long is like very kind of statuesque. And then also, you know, in ladies, the, the nature of the music they're playing means that they don't appear to move a great deal. You know, when you see them from afar, they're quite static. And so I think there's a relationship to kind of, as I say, sculpture, but also this, this sort of performative sculpture that happens quite a lot now where in a museum or gallery you might have someone in a space performing over a long period of time but it it doesn't really involve a beginning or an end like it does in yours Mm, yes i think that's correct but in particularly pirouette and ladies has a very clear beginning and a very clear end because both works like implement this endurance aspect and they can't do it for longer (laughs) so so like in ladies you have these um four women playing horizontal harp for 20 minutes and and yes it doesn't involve a great deal of action but uh for me this this whole piece started Actually, as I, I see it as a as a dance, <laughs> not as a as a music, or you could say maybe it's a sculpture. But for them to 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 perform this piece for such a long time and to do the synchronized hand action for twenty minutes, it's, it's a very labor intense uh, piece. So they could not do it for longer, actually. But I think that has a really nice conversation with the idea of sculpture. And sculpture's kind of permanence, where it's particularly things like public sculpture, which are presumed to be permanent features that last forever, when obviously 
sculpture is not really like that and and actually things can in their permanence can kind of become less visible in some ways yeah but um bringing it back round obviously sound and music and voice have been a big part of your practice up to now and i wonder if we could try and talk about where that interest comes from and what what you think is opened up by those mediums that maybe or that's drawn you to those mediums more than others well i've been trained as classical violinist so i have this love hate relationship with music on in on on one hand because i only now or like only a few years ago i've started to appreciate music or understand it differently because when i was actually practicing or studying it i never had i i actually never enjoyed it <laughs> and it took me a while to, to unlearn a lot of things that i've learned in this classical training method and uh, so i guess that's the very initial relationship with music that i grew up with and then at some point i've well I, i started to to see it more as a medium that i could use in in many other ways like that music does not have to be music only so this is the kind of rough journey and voice i've actually it it's been a long uh, period of time when i was really ashamed to sing i had a very I could not use my voice at all and or like sing in public. I had this <laughs> fear, I guess, or I'm not I'm not sure that's unusual. Yeah, I guess it's it's pretty usual, but and I had to overcome that because I actually started to um, I wanted to make this opera have a good day and I realized that if I wrote the score, I have to teach people how to perform it because i had a very particular way of how i wanted them to sound or maybe the things that i didn't want them to do and and i had to show them and this is where i started to use my own voice again which was i guess like almost like a new era to me being a performer but not just um violin player or electronics like before that i used to do quite a lot of noise experimental music improvised music and did you perform yeah yeah and i do actually i do perform and i collaborate uh with a lot of improvisers angara davis roger davis like there is this bunch of amazing musicians in england that we perform together time to time So for me the improvised music is like abstract painting and the all these <laughs> conceptual operatic or like sculptural works this is some other type of painting <laughs> and all of your work seems so based in in music or sound somehow you know that really feels like the anchor point of your of your practice but you you don't I don't get the impression that you feel like that is a necessity like you don't you consider yourself to be a visual artist and not necessarily a musician per se even though in some instances you are I guess because if you make music and you perform it but as a visual artist you wouldn't necessarily always be linked to sound 
Well, for, for me, this I think I never understood why musician is not a visual artist because the way we experience music very often is also by actually seeing it. So I'm not I'm not so sure about all these. If I would have to choose, I would probably not have any of these um, names like musician or visual artist. Yeah. Yes. Contemporary art is very ambiguous anyway. Um, so it seems strange to categorize things, but sound seems like, has always felt like one area which has existed in a way outside of that kind of contemporary art categorization, I suppose. Yeah. So I was actually studying sound art uh, before I studied sculpture. So after studying violin, I studied sound, uh, sound art. And that was a big liber- uh, liberation for me. <laughs> like, and then being there, I realized that in the sound art studies, there is this very close circle of people that practice there. And they're amazing. They're really, really good artists, a lot of them. But somehow the circle itself, it doesn't... Well, at least like the conversations that we used to have, I felt that they are not... They don't put themselves into into this kind of the field of fine arts, like in this general field that... I think, I mean, includes that a lot of visual artists are using sound as a medium. So I don't see why sound art should be separated from, you know. So I think this this was one of my reasons also to study visual arts afterwards as to kind of do a bit of, how do you call it? <laughs> Re- reconciliation. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for thanks for coming on. It's been nice to talk to you. And um, we will hopefully work together in the not too distant future, rekindling our GI dreams. Thank you, Ned. Thank you so much. And it's a shame we could not do it in the real time situation. But at the same time, I was actually quite glad <laughs> that I didn't have to go anywhere. I don't know. It's... It's hard to stop us, right? Yeah, of course. And well, maybe maybe this is a a new way to do these kind of artist talks. Let's see. Uh